Amen. Heavenly Father, it is true your love carries us. So often we go through the week and we feel like we are hanging on to you when in reality it is you that hangs on to us. And you carry us and you lift us up on your wings like an eagle. Father, it can become so easy to believe that we are who the world says we are, who our past says we are, who our career says we are, what our bank account says we are, what our health says we are, what our family says we are. But Father, you have the final and authoritative word on who we are. And for all who have given their their life to Jesus, you've given us the right to be called children of God. And we are. Holy Spirit, would you teach us today? Open our eyes, open our ears, open our minds, open our hearts to receive your word with your instruction. It is complete, it lacks nothing, and it equips us with all we need for the battles we face. In Jesus' name, we praise you and thank you. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> well, good morning, Trinity. My name is David. For those of you who I have not yet met, I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here. Uh, If you are new, a special welcome to you. If you're watching online, good morning as well. We are in our second week of our sermon series, Through the Armor of God, the very end of Paul's letter to his Christian brothers and sisters in Ephesus. And last week, Pastor Kirk set the table for this whole series and plunged us into the reason why we need the armor of God, spiritual warfare. Not the type of warfare that involves bombs and bullets, but hearts and minds. It's the warfare we cannot see, which leads to the warfare that we can. Between nations, between families, between friends, between man and God. If you're a Christian washed clean by the blood of Jesus, you are auto-enlisted into this spiritual battle. The lines are drawn. There are no neutral parties. There's no truce. And there's no ceasefire. And since that is a reality, as Pastor Kirk said last week, we must not only understand spiritual warfare intellectually, but meet it with biblical practicality. We've studied already the numerous blessings we have in Christ that Paul laid out in chapters 1 through 3. And yet in our own strength, we cannot outsmart, outmaneuver, outduel, outwit, overcome, or withstand the schemes of the evil one. Thankfully, the Lord gives us everything we need to stand firm, to not fall in this battle, And today we're going to look at two pieces of this armor, the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. 
Our scripture today is Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. You can follow along using the Bible in the pew back in front of you. We will be on page 950. And as we examine these words from Paul, I thought it helpful to ask and answer three questions about the belt and the breastplate. What is it? Why do we need it? And then together, how do we put them on? So join me in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. Chapter 10, Paul starts, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand or to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, this is a stark reality that we are involved in constant spiritual warfare. But it is a reality that you have prepared us for and equipped us for. And so would you show us by the power of your Holy Spirit just how you've done that for us, that we may stand. And Father, I pray that as this word is preached prayerfully your word is preached that if anybody in here any of your children are going through that spiritual battle in specific that you have a word for them that you meet them right where you're where where they're at that you speak to their heart remind them of your love for them empower them give them boldness give them strength that they may stand Father, what we don't know, teach us. What we don't see, show us. What we don't hear, tell us. When we don't love, love us. And what we are not, make us. For the sake of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, before we dig into the specific armor, I want to take a really quick step back to set the table one more time for what we're talking about. Scripture tells us that we have an enemy, Satan the devil, and that he was a beautiful angel appointed as a cherubim. Not only powerful, but he dwelt within the very presence of God. Not content with that, however, the prophet Isaiah tells us that Satan wanted to become like God. Because of this, God expelled Satan and his band of of demons to earth. And scripture says that one third of all the angels fell with Satan. 
And so Satan, a created being, beautiful with prestige, sits in the presence of God, sins against God, and is expelled from the presence of God to earth. And then one day, he just happens upon two beautiful created beings in a garden. Those two beings gifted with the very presence of God. And the one who was cast out of the presence of God for wanting to be like God says to them, oh no, 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 no. If you eat of that, which God told you not to, he just knows that you will be like him. And Adam and Eve did not stand firm, they fell. And they were banished from the garden, from the presence of God, just like what happened to Satan, just like what Satan wanted to happen to them, and just like what Satan wants to happen to us. We have a very cunning, very smart, ruthless enemy from old, and the battle which began in heaven came to a garden and now comes to the spiritual doorstep of every single Christian. And Paul knew that his Christian brothers and sisters in Ephesus would be eaten alive by that Ephesian culture if they were not only aware but prepared for the spiritual battle. Remember, the Ephesian culture was an assault on the senses. Every vice imaginable available to you. Does that sound familiar? And so Paul begins the end of his letter by saying to them, be strengthened by Jesus with the strength of Jesus. This is verse 10. Put on, never take off, the entire armor of God so that you can stand. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but the powers of evil. So take up the whole armor to withstand the evil day. Having done all, stand firm. Verse 14, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Stand, withstand, stand, stand. Histami, unmovable, unshakable, unharmed, can withstand the force of anything. Do you want to be unmovable? Do you want to be unshakable? Do you want to be unharmed, able to withstand the force of anything that Satan in this world throws your way? Then the first thing we need to do, Paul writes, is to put on, fasten on the belt of truth. What is it and why do we need it? Let's start with just the belt. The belt was the first thing a Roman soldier put on when going into battle because it acted to secure. It secured the Romans' long tunic, pulling that robe above the knees and out of the way in preparation for battle. It secured the scabbard or the sheath for the sword and other weapons. In the front, the belt had these vertical pieces of leather, thick, thick leather straps that would protect vital organs. And it meant readiness, preparedness, It meant dedication and commitment to battle. The only reason a Roman soldier would have this belt on is if it was time for battle. And Paul takes that readiness, that commitment, that preparedness, and he connects it to truth. See, it wasn't enough for them to just be aware of the spiritual battle, 
for us to just be aware, which if I'm honest, I am not always aware of it. We must not only be aware of this reality, but we can't stop there. Paul didn't just write, hey, I just want to bring this to your attention. We must be prepared for it by first committing to truth. 2,000 years ago, the greatest question ever asked was asked to the greatest person who ever lived when Pontius Pilate stood before Jesus Christ and asked, what is truth? Aletheia is the Greek word, and it's defined in two ways. First, an objective standard by which all of reality is measured. And second, a life of personal excellence, which is free from deceit and falsehood. So something outside of you and me, which defines reality as it is, absolute truth, and a life lived free from falsehood. Now the answer to our second question will demonstrate for us how these two definitions work together in the life of a Christian to stand firm. And so our second question, why do we need to put on and never take off this belt of truth? Because our enemy in this spiritual battle is the father of lies. He was a liar from the beginning. He's a liar now. Deceit is his native tongue. In an effort to keep people from turning to God, Satan convinced so many in culture to be repulsed at the thought of an absolute truth, of an objective standard. No, 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 no. There's not some objective standard out there somewhere. You create reality. And you find the truth within you. Do you know who you are if you create reality and you determine truth? God. That's a pretty neat trick, huh? In an effort to have us turn away from God, Satan lies to us about every single aspect of God's character. Did God really say was not a one-hit wonder for Satan? It is his greatest hit. You get a bad diagnosis. Did God really say he loves you? You lose your job. Did God really say he has a plan for your life? Your family's in turmoil, depression, illness. You lose the loved one, your marriage, culture all around us, addiction, pain, and suffering. Did God really say he could work all of this for good? Satan lies about God's character. He lies about your identity in Christ. And without the belt of truth, we would be spiritually rudderless. But in a world of lies, the spiritual belt surrounds us and secures us with truth. First, the objective truth found not in a what, but a who. The person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Aletheia, there it is again. Jesus says he is the absolute truth. And how do I know that? Because he said it, he was killed for it, and he rose from the dead. 
I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the vine. I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Rome, no you're not. Three days later, Jesus, I'm back. Did I mention I am the resurrection and the life? Jesus Christ is the first definition. He is the objective standard by which all of reality is measured. He said it, he meant it, he proved it. And my mood can't falsify it, culture can't touch it, and Satan can't stand it. The father of lies cannot stand in the presence of truth. We stand firm, therefore, on the truth that is Jesus Christ. And when we do that, the second definition follows. Committing to the truth of Jesus leads to living the way and the life of Jesus. The second definition. A life without falsehood, without deceit. Not only believing the truth, but living a truthful life. Not hypocrisy but integrity. Not God and money, just God. Compassion without compromise, grace, sacrificial love, seeking the lost and bringing healing to the hurting. When we put on this spiritual belt of truth, we are protected against the lies of the enemy vertically, being anchored to the truth of Jesus, not, as Paul wrote, tossed back and forth by the waves blown here and there, by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. And we are protected horizontally through a life lived in service to the Lord, not engaging in the enemy's schemes. We think of a belt as a fashion accessory, but for a Christian, the belt of truth is a warfare necessity. Paul continues in verse 14. Next he says, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. So we have the belt of truth that anchors us in who Jesus is and what he did that leads us to a life modeled by Jesus And then we put on this breastplate of righteousness. This one is a little bit easier to parse out, but every bit as deep. The breastplate for a Roman soldier went from the neck to the abdomen, where it was secured by the belt. And it protected the most vital of organs. Because of the nature of combat, whether it was hand-to-hand, swords, spears, arrows, to not have on a breastplate was asking for death. Now, from a physical standpoint, protecting the most vital organs makes obvious sense in a physical battle. But remember, we're talking about spiritual warfare. And this makes Paul's connection between the breastplate and righteousness all the more astounding as I looked at it. The ancient Greeks used the word cardia, from which we derive heart, anatomically, but they used it much more to refer to the very seat of one's intellect one's emotions, the internal vortex of morality which drove one's actions. And we do the same. In our world, we talk about the heart in a way that gives it governance over our thoughts, our emotions, and our actions. When I say that Ashley, my wife, captured my heart, I'm not talking about the vessel in my chest that pumps blood. 
I'm saying that she captured my affection, my attention, my love. She captured my devotion. What in the spiritual realm is the very center of our being? The vortex of our belief, our emotions, our intellect, which drives our actions. It's our soul. Jesus said it himself, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot harm the soul. Instead, fear God, who can destroy both. There is only one way to protect your soul in the spiritual warfare we are engaged in, and that is righteousness. What is righteousness? Let me give you the definition and the meaning. To be righteous is to, in every way, shape, and form, perfectly image God's attributes, God's attitudes, God's behavior, his word, and his thought. That's the standard to which each of us must attain. Not measured against co-wor- your coworker with the anger issues, God's perfection is the plumb line. And it's demanded of all of us. What this means is that when presiding over whether I deserve blessing or wrath, God puts my attitudes, my behavior, my words, and my thoughts on one side of the scales of justice and his on the other. God's word, which is true, says all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. I dare not enter into God's court and step on his scales of justice with my filthy rags. And I dare not enter into spiritual warfare with a breastplate made of my filthy rags. And thanks be to God and Jesus Christ, we don't have to. So whose breastplate am I wearing, Paul? Look at Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26, one of the most beautiful pieces of Scripture. Paul wrote, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has made manifest, to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate His righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. I assure you, Brothers and sisters, this is the best news there is. 
Because it is true that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but through the birth, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God's righteousness is available to all who believe through faith in Jesus. That is the great exchange which took place at the cross of Christ where Jesus was clothed in my filthy rags that I would be covered in his righteousness. How can God be both just and the one who, ju- who declares me righteous. It is only through the shed blood of Jesus on the cross, Jesus taking the penalty for my sins and me receiving by grace through faith his righteousness. It is this very righteousness of Jesus that saved my soul, and it is the very righteousness of Jesus which protects my soul in this spiritual battle. That is what we must put on and never, ever take off. And let me tell you why. If you try to stand in this battle with your own good works, with your own righteousness, if you think you're going to stand up to Satan, because you're a good, moral person, you will be devastated. How? Because as soon as something happens that you think shouldn't, or something doesn't happen that you think should, Satan will accuse you with an onslaught unimaginable. Maybe if you prayed more, God wouldn't be punishing you like this. Oh, you did that again? Can't even imagine how disappointed God is in you. You go into this spiritual battle with anything other than the righteousness of Jesus protecting you. That which you think will protect you, Satan will use to crush you. Can you stand when the accusations are made? Can you stand when the doubt fills your mind? Can you stand when criticism comes your way? Can you stand when your feelings don't match the truth of who you are in Jesus Christ? Is your hope built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness? When we put on the breastplate of righteousness, Satan cannot touch who you are because of whose you are. For as Jesus said, I gave them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand and I am the Father are one. So the final question, how do we put these on? Now, within Scripture, I found three things. I'm sure there are dozens more. I found three. That when they appear in unison, the people of God were spiritually protected, and I know this in my own life. When even one of them went missing, the people of God were exposed. Believing, behaving, and belonging. You waited for the alliteration, you knew it was coming, you thought you might escape a Sunday with me preaching without it, and you've been proven wrong. (laughs) Number one, believing. Never assume the gospel. Have you committed to the truth 
the whole truth, and nothing but the truth of Jesus Christ. Do not forget whose hand penned these words in Ephesians. Paul was a murderer of Christians when Jesus saved him. No matter how far gone you think you are or how dark your secrets may be, you cannot outrun the light and love of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ will not break a bruised reed or quench a smoldering flax, which means that he will fan into flames even the smallest amount of faith because protection in this spiritual battle is not dependent on the strength of our belief, but the strength and might of the one in whom we believe. Number two, behaving. Right believing leads to right living. As a result of receiving God's grace, not trying to earn it. This is the very structure of the letter we're reading. Remember, the first three chapters, Paul reinforces over and over and over again the blessings we have in Christ, who we are and our new identity because of Christ. And then the last half, chapters 4 through 6, because of who you are in Christ, this is how you should live for Christ. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. Our behavior flows from our new identity, and it buffers us against the onslaught of the enemy. We speak truth in love. We're quick to forgive. We lead out in grace. We build bridges, not walls. When we do the opposite of those, every single one of those is an area for the enemy to get a foothold. And here are just a few spiritual disciplines of many to put into daily practice, which will help you constantly stand firm, constantly be reminded of all that we are and all that we have. Confession. Man, has that, that gone out of style. The enemy would love us to stay in our darkness shame, and guilt. But when we bring our sins before the Lord, when we bring them to the light, He forgives us and He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Freedom. Studying and using God's Word. Jesus resisted the lies and temptations of Satan by quoting what again? The Word. Scripture. Don't just know it, use it. There is power in the word of our Lord. Pray it over your family. Pray it over yourself. Pray it over your church. Pray it over your neighborhood. Pray it over your nation. Prayer, Sabbath, solitude, silence. The enemy distracts us or pacifies us constantly with media and our phones and our overwhelming schedules. Daily time in silence with your Father, resting in Him, protects us mentally, physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Your Father wants to speak to you. Are we slowing down enough to even listen? And belonging. Simple as I can put it, a lone ranger is a dead ranger. One of the most encouraging words in this entire passage, in my opinion, appears in verse 12. When Paul writes, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, 
for we do not wrestle. You are not in this spiritual battle alone vertically, and you are not in this spiritual battle alone horizontally. Christian community provides encouragement, support, collective wisdom, accountability, vulnerability. There are many times I am able to stand because my Christian brothers and sisters are holding me up in prayer and encouragement. I was in here late on Friday night, back in the study, working on this sermon, just depleted after a long week, distracted by anything that was making a noise. And I got a text from someone in my small group, a brother, a friend, just saying, hey, I know this is out of nowhere, but I just want to thank you for your commitment. What? Like the way that that washed over me in that moment was tangible. Do you have this community in your life? If you do, who can you invite into it? And if you don't, it's one of the reasons why we exist here at Trinity. Please reach out. Listen, none of the armor of God, not one piece is camouflage. We do not have to hide in fear. We stand firm in confidence. And if you are in a battle right now, or when you are attacked, know that because of the finished work of Jesus and the guarantee of his return, we do not fight for victory, we fight from victory. And I will leave you with these words from your heavenly Father. Do not be afraid or discouraged by this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but the Lord's. Take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Do not be afraid and do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. He said those words about a physical battle. Imagine the way he fights for us with our spiritual battles. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are good. You are good. You are truth. Father, you are the truth in a world of lies, the truth that we must be anchored to. You speak truth not only about what Jesus did, but about who we are in him. And again, when it feels like we are hanging on in these spiritual battles with everything we have, we come to realize that you have placed us in his hand and he has given us eternal life and no one can snatch us from his hand. Father, thank you for that belt of truth that surrounds us and secures every part of our life. Thank you for the righteousness that we get to wear because of what Christ did for us on the cross. And that is available to everyone by grace, through faith. Father, I pray that if there's anybody in here now that has not given their life to you, would you move? Would your spirit move? Would you give life? Would you change hearts, transform lives? Father, for anybody that is experiencing these battles, in a real acute way, 
Would they be reminded of the one in whom they believe? The true and living God. Would the enemy have no stronghold over their life? Over how they're living? Even in the midst of the trial, we know you are with us. And we know, therefore, we are free to live a life of love and grace and compassion and mercy and hope. There, are, there is no hope found in the lies and deceit of the enemy. None. And Father, would you continue to strengthen our relationships, our bonds? Would we not see Christian community as another thing to do? But would we see it as people that you have put in our lives to do life with that we would grow together. So Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for everything that you've given us, fully equipped and fully prepared to stand and not fall. In Jesus' name, amen.